Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to get up to date with the latest tech news in Europe and hear from two companies. First, we will learn more about Facebook's startup accelerators, which I was not that familiar with before. And afterwards, I will play a conversation of our founding editor, Robin Wouters, with Christina Villa, founder and CEO of a startup called Cladara. Now, first things first, let us take a four-minute break to catch up with the most important European tech news of last week with our reporter, Annie Musgrove. Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of TechEU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. The UK is accelerating towards legalizing e-scooters on its roads, CNBC reports. The trials, which were supposed to begin in 2021, are now starting next month. Transport Secretary Grant Schaap said he would be, quote, extending those trials from four local authorities to every region in the country that wants them, in a bid to get e-scooter rented schemes up and running in cities. It's known that Bird, Lime, Voy, and Tear are all in talks with local authorities about participating in this first trial window. Scooter sharing companies and local authorities that spoke with CNBC said they're still awaiting clarity from the government on next steps. French startup Content Square has raised 190 million US dollars in a Series D funding round, VentureBeat reports. Content Square meshes AI with predictive analytics to give brands insights into how consumers are interacting with their website and apps. The product has become especially important during the lockdown as more people are shopping online. Content Square monitors content, user experience, pricing, and technical performance. The platform crunches billions of touch and mouse movements from the moment a potential customer enters the site to when they exit. Content Square claims some 700 enterprise clients, including American Express, Best Buy, Dell, Salesforce, T-Mobile, and IKEA. Israeli remote work startup Monday.com saw its valuation jump to 2.7 billion US dollars, Bloomberg reports. The Tel Aviv-based company's worth jumped when some of its existing backers cut their stakes in a secondary share sale, said people who asked not to be identified because the terms were private. Monday.com was valued at 1.9 billion US dollars at its most recent funding round last year. Founded in 2014, Monday.com has raised 234.1 million US dollars from investors such as Hamilton Lane, Sapphire Ventures, and Entree Capital. Dublin-based Car Trawler has secured 100 million euros in a controlling equity investment from Towerbrook Capital Partners. Car Trawler is a B2B travel tech company that provides a marketplace for ground travel, which is essentially an end-to-end car rental platform. The solution opens up a new revenue stream for clients, which include massive brands such as American Express, Alaska Airlines, EasyJet, Hotels.com, KLM, and Emirates. Founded in Dublin in 2004, the company now has offices in New York City and Melbourne. With the help of the fresh financing, it plans to expand further around the globe. Tom Blomfield, co-founder of the UK challenger bank Monzo, has stepped down as its CEO, TechCrunch reports. Blomfield co-founded the company five years ago and will now become its president, a role that didn't exist before. Current US CEO, T.S. Anil, will become the new Monzo UK Bank CEO, subject to regulatory approval, and for now will hold both UK and US roles. Blomfield says that in the new role, he'll be able to spend more time doing the things he enjoys most and is arguably best at, such as focusing on the longer-term vision, product, and how Monzo can stay close to and best serve its customers. Israeli unicorn Checkmarks, which recently sold for 1.15 billion US dollars to American PE firm Hellman & Friedman, is laying off employees. 
the startup is supposedly letting go of dozens of workers globally and freezing contracts with some of its freelancers, CT Tech reports. The company currently employs around 700 people in 70 countries. Emmanuel Benzakin, Checkmarks' co-founder and CEO, frames the news differently. Here's a direct quote. The company is reorganizing following its recent acquisition. We are building a model company and it was part of our plans. We didn't do it earlier because of the exit and the coronavirus crisis, but now it is time to make some changes. Estonia has started to test one of the world's first digital immunity passports, your active reports. It was created by a team including founders of TransferWise and Bolt, seeking a safer return to workplaces following the coronavirus lockdown. A digital immunity passport collects clinical testing data and enables people to share their immunity status with a third party, like an employer, using a temporary QR code generated after digital authentication. It's not just tech startups that are interested in the solutions, though. Radisson Hotels and food producer PR Foods are also among the first companies that have started to test the passport. These are some of the most important European tech news stories from the week of May 18th. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre. Thank you so much, Annie, and we are now ready to move through today's agenda. So, as I said, first I wanted to play for you an interview with Roni Bonjak, who runs the accelerator programs for Facebook across the EMEA region. So, hey, this is uh, Robin from Tech.eu, um, joined here uh, virtually, of course, uh, by Roni Bonjak. Uh, very welcome uh, to the show. Uh, Roni runs the Facebook uh, programs for startups and, and the accelerator program uh, for uh, the EMEA region. Uh, so we're very, very happy to have her. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, super happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Roni was in a similar capacity at Google before uh, joining Facebook to head up uh, these accelerator and startup programs. Uh, so we're very happy to have her. Uh, but maybe before we start, uh, just a quick um, agenda setting. So we're going to talk about what Facebook actually does for startups and how the accelerator programs work, uh, what the plans are for the future, and of course, how the current crisis is affecting those plans and how you know the startups in your programs are also pivoting because of the crisis. Uh, and then maybe also talk about um, the other resources that Facebook is putting towards uh, you know helping companies deal with this crisis. So we have a lot of ground to cover, uh, but maybe first of all, Roni, do you want to have a quick of a a quick sort of um, background on yourself and your role at the company. Sure, happy to. So yeah, as you mentioned, I'm um, heading a team at Facebook that runs uh, programs for both developers and startups in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And among these programs are accelerator programs to help startups with a product in market to scale effectively. And we do that mainly through workshops, we run trainings on Facebook's approach to things like product management, uh, go-to-market strategies, company culture, and also including one-on-one mentorship sessions with both Facebook employees and also industry experts in those ecosystems where we operate in. Slightly embarrassed to admit that I uh, knew that Facebook was running an accelerator program in London. I had no idea you also had a program in Paris, in Berlin. You have one in Tel Aviv and also one in, in Lagos, Nigeria, I saw. So that's already quite quite a lot of uh, regions that you cover. Do you want to sort of talk about how that came about? Yeah, so, you know, we, we did have this mission of um, helping startups um, to grow effectively in terms of product growth and business growth. So we operated so far in those leading ecosystems within Europe and collaborated with startups in London, Paris, Berlin, Tel Aviv, as you mentioned. But also, you know, if we look at regions like Africa and the huge potential that, that is over there, 
Um, you know, part of our mission is just to ensure that innovation is everywhere. So for us, Nigeria is a super quickly emerging uh, ecosystem in Africa is a fascinating one for us to also focus on. So we do have another uh, hub over there with an acceleration program. Great. And what what does it take for you to to set up a hub in a certain city? Do you have uh, partnerships? Do you just have to have the necessary room in your office building? Or what does it take? Yeah, so we usually do co do collaborate with local partners. We want to make sure that we are relevant to the local ecosystem. And obviously, yeah, you know, as Facebook, we bring our own methodologies and frameworks to what does it take to build a scalable company uh, and a successful startup. But we do collaborate with local partners in every ecosystem that we operate in uh, to ensure that we're relevant to the local ecosystem, to the local needs, um, to the local startups, etc. And you've been doing this uh, for a couple of uh, years. Um, I'm guessing you had plans to expand, that you had plans for the future in general um, that have changed now. But uh, maybe just uh, walk us through what the what the plans actually were. Yeah, so definitely to we're here to stay. Super excited to keep doing what we're doing. One of the things that are fascinating for us in the last couple of months is to really ensure that we're working with startups that are leveraging Facebook products and technologies to build those meaningful experiences to, uh, to people. Um, so we do want to make sure that we are relevant to them uh, when we support them in building those uh, products and businesses based on our uh, product. So this is definitely our plan. Obviously, the way we operate and the way we execute that have to change now uh, due to the situation. Yeah. Although we learned a lot from the situation, so hopefully these learnings will also bring us, you know, to 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 run better programs and, and more relevant accelerators. Yeah, I guess everyone has to adapt whether you're a small or big company uh, these days. What kind of startups do you typically accept in the program? Is there a typical sector that you look at or a typical stage of the business? Or is the only requirement that you have to somehow work with Facebook products already? So specifically those programs that we do run now in specifically Berlin and Tel Aviv, we do work with startups that are leveraging Facebook products to build consumer-oriented products. And then we work with them on how to build a scalable consumer company out of Germany or out of Israel. That, that was this focus. Uh, we had an interesting cohort in London recently in which we had an internal partnership within Facebook with the Facebook connectivity team. And we worked with startups from all across Europe, Middle East and Africa that came to London to be part of our program over there. And these startups were really mission aligned with our connectivity team. So basically startups that are solving for uh, connectivity gaps, for you know, accessibility, affordability, et cetera, around connectivity. Great. Um, you talked about how this crisis is affecting your accelerator programs, which is, uh, which is hard not to, not to affect it. But uh, can you maybe elaborate and uh, get into details on how it is actually shifting? Because I saw that the Berlin and the Tel Aviv Accelerator, for example, are moving completely online. Um, are there yeah. other, other um, consequences of the crisis? Yeah, so I think the, the, the shift to online was a really interesting one for us. Not, not, um, not an obvious one. As, as many startups and accelerators are facing you know, these issues these days, we're definitely in the same boat. Both Berlin and Tel Aviv accelerators were due to launch uh, during the month of March. And, you know, we've selected the startups to the cohort. We let them know they are accepted. And only then we had to quickly pivot due to the pandemic. And we, we just had to, like, you know, respond really, really quickly and just move these two programs to online, which is something that we were not used to do before. And I think we faced two main challenges. So one, 
which is, you know, in, in in-person, in-person programs, there is this magic um, of the program when you come in person, when you build a community, when you meet the people. So we really wanted to make sure that we can maintain the magic when we move to a virtual program. You know, like a significant part of our programs is the community that we bring together um, and those in-person interactions with the Facebookers as the mentors and the workshop facilitators is also uh, really important. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we can maintain that uh, magic. And the other challenge that was um, that we were facing was how can we ensure that our startups are in the right mindset for the program? So, you know, these are hard times and many startups operate in a survival mode now. And, you know, our programs are usually focused on product growth and business growth. So we wanted to make sure that this is really relevant to our startups that are focused now on growth at all and not only on surviving. So you mentioned uh, moving the, this problem virtually and sort of the challenge that you face while doing that, you know, to to maintain that sense of community. Um, can you make maybe talk about how you actually approach that and how you succeeded in in shifting to a virtual model? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we didn't want to just copy paste the same things that we do offline to the online world. So we did something interesting that I'm sure that many startups are doing these days as well. So we adopted uh, methodologies from product management um, approaches and really similarly to how you build a user journey map when you design a product, we mapped the startup journey in our accelerators. So we mapped all of the touch points that we have with the startups along this journey and detailed the aspects of their experience in each step along the way. So like, what are their expectations? Really, what are their emotions and overall feelings in each one of those touch points? And then we outlined our hypothesis on what could be their experience in an online program in each of these steps along the way. And we mapped all the risks, all the challenges for us to also like understand how we could address them and just ensure that the experience is positive for them despite those challenges. And maybe to the degree that you can talk about this, do you think that model will also be maintained when we come out on the other side? I don't want to talk about the return to normal because you probably never will. Uh, but sort of on the other side of this, when you can go back to physical accelerator, do you think you'll just shift back to you know the usual physical accelerator program that you had in place? Or do you think it will more be a hybrid model because of the learnings that you take from, from this approach? Yeah, this is definitely a question that we ask ourselves now, um, you know, on a daily basis. We, like, one of the things that we do is um, that we shift our own mindset from this uh, fighting the challenge mindset to seeking opportunities, which is, by the way, to be honest, also really changing the way we operate as a team because it does impact on ourselves as individuals when when we do focus on, on the opportunity. And definitely we we are surprised by how much the engagement can be high and how much there are so many uh, interesting formats and so many opportunities with going online. And despite the fact that obviously we miss the in-person engagement, um, we do see that we can more easily invite speakers from all around the world and mentors from different countries. We can also include startups that are not locally based in Tel Aviv, Paris, Berlin, London, but you know we can go more broadly and 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 be more inclusive in, in in other areas of the region, which is great. And I think that it's it is definitely an interesting question to how we can go hybrid, hopefully one day to combine online and offline 
so we can enjoy enjoy both the opportunities but also maintain the specific magic that i mentioned yeah yeah absolutely it will be interesting to watch how that uh, sort of evolves um can you also maybe talk about um specifically some of the startups and how they have to deal with this crisis themselves because a lot of them were just as you mentioned accepted into these programs just when the crisis hit so i'm assuming that most of them you know were affected by this as a, as a business and that they had to shift uh, maybe even pivot their their business model or their product to so can you maybe give some some specific examples yeah sure it, it is really really interesting to to see you know different startups are operating in different markets and different industries uh, obviously there are some industries that are more uh, impacted Uh, some some are less. So actually, one interesting story is um, a startup called uh, Collective Benefits from London, from our Facebook Accelerator London program. This startup went through the program, and once graduated, the pandemic started. And even before the pandemic, they used to provide a solution for gig economy companies, providing freelancers with benefits and insurance, really like the benefits that you would get as part of a big company, but as a freelancer. And then during COVID, they were obviously overwhelmed with, you know, inquiries from the self-employed looking for protections and a safety net. What was amazing about their example is that they were able to quickly respond to the situation. They accelerated the, the launch of their direct-to-consumer program. So up until... Recently, they operated in a B2B model, offering their solution to businesses. But now, they also allow freelancers to access benefits directly, so they can get the support and the cover they need right now. Um, so yes, um, it is part of their mission, and it is part of their value proposition in, in regular days too. But And also, like this, this plan was part of their roadmap, but they realized There is an opportunity here, and they accelerated the launch to respond quickly to the situation. And it was really interesting to see also how they did it because they ran a four-day full-team sprint, really focused on this specific launch, and they made it happen, which is hard, you know, to just shift your mindset from a B2B company to yeah. a B2C company. All your funnels are, are impacted, etc. Um, they had a wait, waiting list, and they just opened it um, in one day and really made it happen. Yeah, quite interesting. What was the name of the company? Collective Benefits. Collective Benefits. Oh, yeah. I think we we wrote about these guys uh, at some point. Yeah, it's quite interesting to see this uh, sort of when you have a startup and you have a roadmap that sometimes the crisis only accelerates sort of the things you were planning to do anyway, but then it turns out that it's a bigger opportunity or a bigger market. And maybe it's, a, you know, sometimes it's it's also good for for some of these startups to to accelerate some of their decision making. Yeah, and it was really inspiring, you know, the way they approached it because they... On one hand, they were very, very focused on just, you know, as a team for four days, just focused on that. Although I was impressed by how they also didn't ignore the ecosystem that they were playing in. So they collaborated with many other organizations and started a campaign to influence the UK government to provide benefits to gig economy workers. Nice. So really, you know, there are like so many, so many learnings here that when I see their case study, yeah. um, so many things that other startups can get inspired by and learn from, you know, one thing is really being obsessed with your mission. I think that if you're a mission driven um, startup and you are obsessed with what you do and with the value that you deliver, I think that you will find a way to overcome challenges and provide people with the value that your product delivers. And also the other thing here that, you know, if you zoom out and collaborate with other startups, 
um, or other key players that are mission aligned, you can really achieve impact that is even beyond your own product yeah. offering. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, now, speaking of zooming out, I was also planning on zooming out a little bit on the conversation because obviously you help the startups that are in your accelerator programs or have graduated already. Uh, but Facebook is, is, is going uh, a step beyond that as well. Uh, I know that you set up sort of a resource page for you know any business or any uh, startup that has uh, trouble scaling because of the pandemic. Um, can you maybe talk about what those resources are and how you plan to you know um, create awareness around it? Yeah. So we understand that COVID-19 is changing the face of businesses in every market, especially for startups, you know, even more for startups that are early stage when the things that keep them up at night are things like runway for the coming months or hiring team members that are still core to the growth of, of the immediate product and business. Um, of course, you know, for many of them just to maintain revenue in order to survive so we've, we've launched this uh, COVID-19 um, startup resource page. It is on our Facebook for Startups website. And, you know, as a team, we curated a list of resources, both developed by Facebook and from trusted sources, uh, focused on dealing with economic downturn, working remotely as startup teams, uh, overall, overall well-being for, for startups. Uh, we even made some of our accelerator content available there. So, you know, a couple of workshops like uh, frameworks for product road mapping, problem solving, or how to adjust your marketing strategy these days. Great. Yeah, well, we'll definitely link to the, the research page in the in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, maybe just to conclude, and maybe slightly on a personal level, like how are you dealing with this crisis? Um, I know you're um, calling uh, in from uh, Tel Aviv, uh, but how is it affecting your work at Facebook? Yeah, you know, so I think we're pretty uh, privileged at Facebook because we are able to work remotely. The team that I manage is also uh, pretty much remote. I have folks on my team that are based in London, Paris, Berlin, um, Dubai, Lagos, Tel Aviv. So I, I'm very used to be communicated with them uh, remotely. Obviously, it is hard for us, you know, uh, when we do work with startups and we see them struggle we see some of the start of struggle so it is hard for us emotionally but i think that we are lucky to be able to just work from home remotely um, make sure that the kids are um, are not too noisy in the background <laughs> and luckily you know we're pretty flexible as the teams are based everywhere around the world so we can we can work in flexible hours which is really helpful as well I guess you were already sort of uh, used to this situation, but I'm guessing you also used to travel a lot. So do, do you think that will come back though? Do you think you will go back to the normal pace of traveling that you had before? Or do you think this remote working will sort of ingrain in the culture and then, you know, sort of be upheld after this crisis? Well, really on a personal level, I, I'm, I do hope that travel is back soon. Um, I'm personally a person that I have to, you know, um, hug my team and be with them and have this like, um, the, this uh, informal coffee in between meetings. So I do hope that I can travel soon to be with the team in person. I'm not sure that it's coming back that quickly, though. Yeah. Uh, it might still take time. I do, I do assume that it will affect the way uh, we operate. And we will probably, as we mentioned around accelerators, we will probably find this like hybrid solution that combines online and offline in a way, even in the way we work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm guessing that goes for a lot of companies. Uh, but hey, thank you so much for um, uh, sharing your insights and your um, advice and the resource pages uh, with us. So we'll definitely link them in the show notes as well. Um, Roni, thank you so much. Um, I hope you uh, come out of this crisis uh, with a new strength and with uh, you know better programs and this hybrid model that might might be even stronger than the one before. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you and uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks. And the second interview of today is also recorded by Robin, and it is with Cristina Vila Vivas, the founder and CEO of Cladara. And that is a startup that solves a problem that neither Robin nor myself even knew existed. So hey, this is Robin Walters for Tech.U. I'm, uh, I'm joined here remotely, of course, by Cristina Vila, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Cladara. Uh, Cristina, very much uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. Hi, Robin, and well, thank you very much for having me in the podcast. And and yes, uh, you know, even though it's uh, remote, happy to to participate. Great. Can you tell us a little bit more about Cladara first? Like, what do you, what do you actually do? Yes, of course. So at Cladara, we we help companies manage uh, all the different software subscriptions that they have in the business uh, from the moment when teams want to purchase a new subscription until the time when they choose not to have it anymore in, in the company. Is that a problem that's big enough to build a company around that? I would have never assumed, but um, I mean, it's been almost two years, so you can tell me more about that. Yes, um, I mean, it's, it is a very big problem. So if you think the, um, the enterprise uh, software market is a $400 billion a year market, so that is big. And a lot of it is uh, obviously moving on to SaaS. Currently, SaaS is $100 billion, and it's growing at a 20% a year. And this is something relatively new as a problem because we didn't used to use as much uh, SaaS before. And if you think of it, a lot of companies have emerged to help companies sell SaaS, but there are no companies really focusing on helping companies buy SaaS and then manage it on, you know, during the life that you have that SaaS product in the company. Great. Um, can I just ask your, your personal background? Because this, if, if I'm not mistaken, this is your first company, isn't it? This is the first startup that I start, yes. Um, so I've worked all my career in financial services. I started in a development bank called the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development in London. And then from there, I moved on to a fintech startup where we were building a new bank for emerging markets. And there at this uh, startup is where I experienced this whole friction around uh, running a business with a lot of SaaS products and nobody really knowing um, who is using what and why and how much we're paying for everything. So, so that was first had first hand experience that led me on to then moving on and, and starting Clevera and my first uh, company. Great, always the best way to scratch your own itch uh, in a way. Uh, but when you did your yeah. research <laughs> back before starting Cladara, um, when you did research on on the competitive landscape, what did you find and how is it different today? So when I was looking for it, uh, surprisingly at the time, I didn't find anything suitable to solve this problem. So what what we what I saw is that uh, we were all going through essentially bank statements, trying to see, okay, what is the recurring payment and what is this and not recognizing necessarily the 
the text on the bank statement, and then also maintaining a, a Google spreadsheet, right? Where then we would ask people, can you please make sure that uh, if you sign up for something, you write it there. Today, there are not many fully focused products to manage the end-to-end uh, SaaS journey. I would say there is none that's looking to manage the end-to-end SaaS journey. What we see is companies that they maybe help you with the reporting of your SaaS. So something that you already have in the business, like a you know health checkup that you can do uh, on a regular basis. But for us, that's a little bit too late because it means you already have the problem by the, by the time you spot it. And that's why our solution combines both the reporting, but also the payment side and the whole purchasing uh, side of things. Because we believe that, you know, the problem of SaaS starts the day that you say, okay, I want to buy this. I want to bring this into the company. And at that point is when you should already have tools to say, okay, do we have this already in the business before we buy it again? Or have we tried to buy this already and maybe... Uh, the company already decided that we shouldn't use it. So, so here is how we are different. We really want to capture the the end to end journey of SaaS within companies. Great, that's a very, very clear explanation. Um, but mm-hmm. what also struck me when I went to your website, it also says you can use Cladara for more than just SaaS. Well, what does that mean? Can you elaborate on that? Yes, so we have very creative um, customers, so which you know we we learn from every day. So, for example, when you know they they come into Cledara and they start using Cledara because they want to manage their software subscriptions, but then soon when they see the platform, they realize that actually it would be very handy also to manage your advertising spend because they conceptualize it also as a subscription because they tend to set a budget that, okay, I'm going to pay 700 pounds a day or I'm going to pay a thousand pounds a week, right? So you said that when that runs out, don't spend any more until the following week where we will add, uh, you know, a budget again that you can spend. So, so what we see is these emerging behaviors uh, from our customers that then we bring in as uh, additional use cases for for the platform. Great, yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You're uh, yourself a SaaS company catering to SaaS companies. Does it make it uh, easier because you speak the same language as your customers, uh, but also in a way more difficult because you know there's a lot of SaaS companies out there. The go-to-market strategy matters a lot. Like, do you find it uh, easy to break into this uh, this market? So I think what makes it easy is that we are a user of our own product, right? So as you say, so we are a SaaS company using a lot of SaaS products ourselves to, to run our business. So as soon as Cladara was, uh, you know, uh, an MVP that could be used, we, we started using it internally. And, and I think that has helped us a lot on, you know, an acceleration in terms of which features are really useful for our customers. And, and of course, we also had customers from day one, which was very, you know, very telling on that, you know, okay, there is a real need for for the for the platform, and yeah, so I think that's uh, the key the key thing that helps us push through is that it's a relatively new problem. There is no winner in the market yet on who is going to solve this and who is going to essentially be the, the the one if there is a one, and and I think that's what makes it super, a super interesting space to be in. No, for sure. Um, speaking of uh, your customers, who, who's your ideal customers? What, what does it look like, your average uh, customer? I would 
Yeah, so at the moment we are uh, focusing on, you know, companies which have around 50 to 250 um, team members. And that's because there is where companies need to start bringing in structure. They already don't necessarily know everybody and you need... uh, better ways to collaborate on the software you have and the software you want if you want to avoid uh, that duplication in in teams of, you know, different people buying the same or similar products and and also people joining and not really knowing, okay, what's the software that we can already use because it's already in. Uh, so essentially, that's where we see the, the, the best uh, market fit. Got it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your company size? Um, you know, how many team members were you working from? And maybe even which tools do you use on a daily basis? Yeah, we are still a relatively small team. We've been, you know, we, we try to, to keep lean and leverage a lot of the software that's out there to, you know, automate as much as we can. So at the moment, we are eight people. So we have, uh, and yeah, we are quite remote ourselves. So we have people in Barcelona, in, in Bratislava, in London. So, so we are quite used on, you know, on working remotely. And we actually think that it's very good to be able to access the, you know, talent from a wider uh, area than just your city or your nearby towns. And that's, uh, yeah, so that's something that, for example, Cledara in the way it's designed, it's, it's very much in there, right? It's thought with remote companies at heart and people working from home. I assume that also makes it um, easier in a way to deal with the, the current crisis that we have on our hands on a global level. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how you're handling the situation on, on your end? Yeah, I mean, the first thing, obviously, we, we do have an office in London and we closed it uh, already two weeks ago. We asked everybody to work from home. And, and then we, we, is, is this, we are very used to working remotely. So that's uh, not really slowed down the, let's say, the, the work of, of our team. Uh, but yeah, um, I think. We, we did embrace the virtual coffees because I think, for example, we acknowledge that, all right, maybe on a work level, it hasn't impacted us, but at the social level, it has impacted us because maybe I don't see my colleagues on a daily basis, but my colleagues see their friends or their families, which now they don't. So we, we have every day at 4.30 uh, a virtual coffee break where we try to bring in more than just, you know, okay, I'm here talking about business. No, we are here to talk about, I don't know, what's my cat doing or what's, uh, you know, what did I do this weekend or, you know, whatever else. And the other thing that we are doing, which I think it's... Um, it also helps during this time of, you know, social isolation, as we say, it's bringing in guests into our coffees so that uh, maybe, I don't know, whether it's my brother or one of our investors or a customer that they join so that, uh, you know, you get to socialize with people that you didn't know before. <laughs> That's fantastic. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. even think of that. Um, now, you started a company uh, almost uh, two years ago. Uh, you raised a bit of funding on close to a million dollars uh, late last year. Uh, but you also had some news to announce uh, last week. So if you can walk, mm-hmm. us, uh, walk us through that, that would be, that would be nice. 
So yeah, so we raised some some funding from some great um, angels initially, and then from Anthemus and uh, BBBA, which was uh, you know again a, a great point of validation for what we are doing because Anthemus are a very forward thinking. Uh, fintech fund where they always look at what's next in the fintech space and obviously BBBA seeing the the need for a product like Towers to help their uh, SME customers. And then, yeah, so the the good thing or the good news, uh, I suppose, that you're referring to is the, um, that uh, M12, uh, so they selected us as one of the finalists for their a female founders competition Great. And just, in the category. Just, just to be yes, clear, sorry. M12 is the is the venture fund that uh, was started by Microsoft. I think some people might not not know that. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and it's also spon- or you know uh, sponsored in a way by Pivotal Ventures, which is the fund by Melinda Gates and and Mayfield. So it's uh, the three of them bringing together this competition for female founders globally. And then they have uh, different categories and and we were amongst the top five female founders on enterprise software outside of the US. That's great. So and yeah, we are very, very happy. <laughs> and then what, what happens with the, the competition? Is now uh, over or do you go to, to a final with judging or what's going to happen next? So we had the, 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 so in theory, we were meant to go to obviously the Bay Area to present the company and, and, you know, share more about it with, uh, with, with them. And obviously we moved that to remote. So we had, um, a call with them where we were sharing, you know, why and, and why it's important. And, and obviously they see the needs as well for it. Now in the coming month, they will tell who the winner of the actual competition is. So now we are all waiting. Uh, but yeah, it's already, uh, I think it's a great initiative uh, just to give you know female founders visibility and also to to raise awareness that there are you know great female founders out there doing you know great things that hopefully will motivate other women to go and start their businesses as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also already sort of a validation. Um, does that mean you're also uh, going to fundraise soon? If you get if you get uh, some attention this way, it might not be a bad bad time to start fundraising. Yes, I mean we we were thinking of uh, you know starting fundraising in in April. We we are still pushing with that. I think that you know we need to to continue moving forward as a business. And uh, so far, uh, we we see still substantial interest in the market about what we are doing. Uh, all the conversations that we were having with investors are still ongoing. So we haven't seen a, luckily, we haven't seen a slowdown on our side yet, uh, if there has to be one. So, but, you know, uh, fingers crossed, everything is moving in the right direction. And yes, if we were to get, obviously, this prize from from this competition, that would be amazing because it would, of course, uh, give a, a nice boost to to that fundraising for the business. Well, from my side, I wish you uh, all the best. Uh, I also want to thank you for your uh, time today. It was a very, very good explanation of what you do. Um, so I didn't actually know the company all that well, so it's also good for me. But yeah, uh, all the best with uh, Cladera and uh, hope you get through the crisis unscathed. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we, we hope so too, and we are working definitely to, to keep moving it up. Great. Well, keep moving and thank you so much for your time. 
And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. I am going to talk to you next time on Thursday in our new special episode. Until then, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.